Welcome to Spectrum. Now your host, Jim Tofty. I've got two great guests on the program this morning. Later, I'll be talking with great guitarist Randy Bachman from the Guess Who and Bachman Turner Overdrive. But my first guest is Las Vegas Review Journal business columnist Rick Falata, who will be discussing the new building boom here in Southern Nevada. Rick, welcome back to the program. The last time we spoke, I believe, was in November. And as always in this town, so much has happened even since then, and and you recently attended a 90-minute presentation on the future of Las Vegas, and it sounds like 2020 is going to be extremely busy, isn't it? Oh, no no doubt about it. Uh, and I think that a lot of people have been talking about the fact that 2020 is going to be a pretty astonishing year for uh, Southern Nevada, just simply because of all the projects that are underway. And you, you need a, a, a scorecard to kind of keep up with uh, the list of everything that's going to be happening. But the fact that these uh, economists, and they're, they're all experts in their own individual fields, took a look at that and said, you know, once we, uh, once we get through some of that, that development, uh, post-2020 is going to be pretty amazing. And they listed a number of different reasons why. I know that you had written about just the land prices of strip properties are going to be up in the neighborhood of, I believe, $50 million an acre. Yeah. And, you know, we haven't seen that, that level of, uh, of uh, value uh, ever. So it's one of those things that... Um, that it's kind of a crystal ball prediction, you know, and and, yeah. and uh, certainly <laughs> it, it's not cast in stone that it's going to be that way. Um, but but when you have some of the the, the, the guys that are are doing these type of uh, of analyses, and this is John Knott from C, uh, CRE that 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 was talking about this. When you when you hear them talking about it, you have to kind of give it some credence because they're also uh, pretty much on the front end of predicting a lot of the trends that we've seen economically in southern Nevada over the years. So this 50 million per acre, uh, and, and that's the kind of the supposition that uh, once some of these projects are completed, then there's not going to be quite as much available land to, uh, to develop, and therefore every available piece is going to become more valuable, and that's where that projection came from. Yeah, because I think I read previously prices were anywhere from two and a half million to eight million an acre. Most recently, most recently, that's that's the case. I think that um, at one point in time, prior to the recession, it had reached as high as about thirty million, and uh, but but we haven't seen that, uh, of course, since the uh, two thousand seven two thousand eight era. Uh, uh, certainly now. Uh, Things have changed quite quite a bit economics-wise. Uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see whether that value actually comes to be. Rick Falata, business columnist for the Review Journal, joins me. Something that I guess we've been hearing about for a while now is that there's a possibility of a new airport just south of Las Vegas. Shouldn't be too big of a surprise that we need a little bit of a relief system for McCarran. Right. Uh, and and this, these ideas of having... Uh, Kind of a reliever airport south of uh, Las Vegas. You know, they were first discussed when, uh, again, prior to the recession, when uh, a lot of the uh, flights that were were coming in, their airlines were expanding rapidly in order to uh, accommodate all this demand that uh, Las Vegas had garnered because of the new attractions that were going on in the 90s and uh, early 2000s. So that was when the uh, the county uh, first kind of introduced the idea of a reliever airport uh, in the Ivanpah Valley, which is 
south of town, kind of near Prim, and uh, there's a, a, a large uh, block of land there that uh, that uh, is administered by the BLM that uh, the county was given permission to to look at, and they've had to do some environmental assessments. Well, the environmental assessments have long since been completed, but uh, because the demand for uh, you know, as far as the airport was concerned, went down. There was no need to really follow up on the, on having this reliever airport put into place. Well, well, now we're we're starting to see some of the same trends that we saw back in the uh, uh, late '90s. That being that uh, more people or more airlines are taking a look at Las Vegas and seeing it as a possible destination. Certainly, uh, the international air carriers are looking at that as well because. We've become a, a, a global destination for a number of different uh, countries. So n- now that that's kind of ratcheting up a little bit, and we're almost to the level where we've had as much uh, as many flights as we've ever had at McCarran, it's time once again to take a look at the possibility of this Ivanpah Valley uh, Airport, uh, which you know it's it's all kind of theoretical at this point in time yeah and uh, a, a lot of it's been uh, discussed in terms of how it would uh, work and how it would uh, you know how, what types of what carriers would go in there that type of thing so uh, it, it's still in its very early stages but i think that good planners look long range at problems and try to solve them before they happen. Seems like there's been more of an influx in those net jet type of planes, those smaller planes that take smaller groups, but they seem to be manageable for people. That, that, that's true. Uh, I think a lot of uh, corporate uh, companies that, and especially those who appear here on a regular basis for conventions, uh, will use the uh, the small jets to, to, to come in. And uh, the, the Clark uh, County Aviation Division does the best that they can to actually encourage these smaller planes to go to some of the outlying airports like uh, Henderson Executive and, and North Las Vegas by by uh, selling fuel at a at a lower rate there than they do at McCarran as kind of an encouragement, an incentive to park the planes uh, at those airports instead of at McCarran. But you know, most of these uh, most of these companies that come in on these jets. They want to be close into where they uh, are ultimately going to go, whether that's on the Strip or to the convention center or some other destination that's close to McCarran and, and not park at uh, Henderson or in North Las Vegas. Might be a good time to be an Uber driver going from Ivanpah Valley to Las Vegas. I would think so. That would be a nice fare. <laughs> Rick Falata from the RJ joins me, and uh, one of the speakers at that economic forum, and correct me if I'm wrong in pronouncing his name, Stefan Szymanski, a sports management professor from the University of Michigan. Now, this, it seems far-fetched to me, but like you say, when someone with some credibility brings it up, he, he is someone who said that we could end up hosting an Olympics at some point in the future, which is incredible to me as a longtime Vegas resident because they usually run July, I think, into August. And how could we possibly have outdoor events in 110 degree heat? Yeah, that's uh, that, that would be a, a major roadblock in terms of having summer Olympic events. And I, I think that there's a certain amount of flexibility in when during the year these things can can be scheduled. And, and yeah. they would have to look pretty hard at at that, and you know, maybe dip it back into September, even October, which uh, obviously is no longer summer in in, in most of those most of those calendar days. <laughs> yeah. But the, the the fact that that uh, 
uh, Professor Samansky brought this up, uh, and, and I'm like you, Jim. I, I was pretty astounded that this was even under consideration. But he made a pretty good case for it, and the reason why I say that is because he pointed out accurately that uh, there aren't too many cities in the world that can uh, stage uh, uh, an Olympic Games without putting a whole bunch of new infrastructure into place. True. That, that's not to say that, that Las Vegas is perfect as far as infrastructure. We still have a number of transportation issues that need to be addressed. But but the other side of it, though, they, they need a, a large block of rooms for an Olympic village. Okay, we've got that. Yeah. Uh, it's pre- presumably we'd, we'd want to have a, a lot of hotel rooms for people attending these events. Well, we've got that, so... Um, so that's already uh, accounted for, and then you know you need to have um, uh, airlift into uh, into Las Vegas, and uh, as we talked about just a few minutes ago, there, there's more and more international flights coming into Las Vegas. So therefore, when we when you look at the prospect of uh, transporting athletes as well as fans to the venues, th- this is like a, a perfect place for it because it's so easy to get to. Uh, almost any place in Las Vegas from McCarran in uh, you know half an hour or less. So it's um, it's it's a it's a pretty uh, interesting scenario that he set up, and he went it so far as to suggest possible venues for events, which I think is what uh, was a, was a pretty big step. And I think a lot of people, if they if they looked at that chart and saw uh, in that was with my story that showed some of the ideas that he had for venues. Um, they were pretty compelling. Uh, the, the one event that we could not stage is surfing, and that uh, he suggested <laughs> best stage in uh, Malibu, California, right. as opposed to anywhere around here, which makes a whole lot of sense. But every other event is something that um, that that could potentially be staged at a at a particular venue here. And, and you know, t- do you know anything, Jim? Is that this? This is not the first time that we've talked about Las Vegas as a potential um, Olympic venue, but it, it's been more in the context of the Winter Olympics. And if you haven't heard those stories, uh, one, one of the one of the ideas that was been pitched by the uh, an Olympic organizing committee that's based in Reno uh, is to t- is to team up with California and have most of the skiing events at uh, uh, Lake Tahoe and those re- resorts in that area. Right. However, however, there is one, one event that has really caught hold in Las Vegas, and that is curling. <laughs> if you've never been out to see curling, competitive curling, out right. in New Orleans um, when, when they bring in uh, some of these uh, international events, it's really quite something to see, and it's a lot of fun. So... Uh, curling has always been on the radar as far as a Winter Olympics uh, event that could be staged in Las Vegas. I've got friends who uh, are involved with curling in town just uh, as a club sport, a league. And uh, being from Wisconsin myself, we've we've had curling places there for years and years. Yeah, it's... it's and a, a lot of people don't understand what it is and how it works and how it's played and what the brooms are and all that other stuff, but yeah. it's, it's really a lot of fun to, to watch. And if- the fun, and you actually have to uh, be somewhat athletic just to get into the position to uh, to shoot that so-called teapot across the ice. <laughs> I, I know that I could never do that. Uh, yeah. You're right. Uh, you know, locating those uh, 
ability there's stones on 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 the the targets that that, that are down uh, on a sheet of ice um it, it does take a certain amount of uh technique in order to perfect that to a level that is uh, you know that you can spot those things uh, wherever you want, whenever you want. Rick Falata joins me. We're talking about all things business, and and I'm always excited, Rick, to hear about new transportation projects in this town because we're way behind on that issue, as you said. And what is the latest on the underground Elon Musk transit system? Because we've heard a little bit about it and that it might be moving forward. Yeah, it's uh, it's in the very early stages of of consideration at this point, and he, here's where it stands. Right Right now, the Las Vegas Convention and Visitors Authority needed to have some kind of a transit system just for the campus because, uh, as you know, they're expanding the, uh, uh, the the Las Vegas Convention Center with a new uh, uh, exhibition hall. And when you when you lay things out uh, on, on a map, you can see that the farthest end of the campus, where the uh, south halls are. Yeah. And the distance to the the new West Hall that's being built—that's a—that's uh, as the crow flies. That's about a mile and a quarter. Well, you can't get there as the crow flies because you have to go around buildings in order to get to it. So a walk like that is more like a mile and a half to mile and a three and three quarters. So uh, what the uh, uh, Las Vegas Convention and Visitors Authority decided to do was to put a uh, request for projects out for uh, consideration. And one of the uh, one of the applicants that came in was the Boring Company, which is an Elon Musk company that um, is in operation in uh, Southern California right now. What their proposal is is to bore tunnels uh, under you know under the surface, and then to place uh, vehicles that would basically be uh, uh, transit in the form of uh, Tesla chassis and have vehicles that are on uh, in. They're all like Tesla-like, so again, you can see the connection with Elon Musk right there. Yeah, and then these uh, these vehicles would run every thirty to sixty seconds, uh, and and it'd be point to point. It'd almost be like you know ride-hailing systems where you have an app, and you say this is where I want to go, and you push the button, and then the vehicle takes you exactly to where you want to to be uh, among uh, four stations that would probably be built. So uh, it, it's not like a traditional uh, subway train, per se. It doesn't stop at every single stop along the way, but you could actually um, uh, decide where you want to go and then go directly to that place. So that, that's the, the innovation of, of what the Boring Company wants to do. So where this stands now is that the uh, LVCVA board has... Uh, agreed to further their uh, discussions with the Boring Company to pinpoint an exact price and to pinpoint an exact route for where this tunnel would occur. And then um, if it uh, if everything works as planned, it would be implemented and would be constructed uh, between now and the end of 2020 uh, in time for the 2021 CES, which is when the new West Exhibition Hall will be open in, for the first time. Did they do a test in Los Angeles of this system? They do have a test track there. Uh, it's a circular uh, loop route that they have, and uh, there's actually been a couple of proposals to build uh, commercially out into the community, but they've not been implemented. But they do have the test track showing that uh, this system 
as they envision it, is capable of doing what they say it will do. It's a matter now of determining whether or not these tunnels that um, are being uh, proposed can actually be uh, uh, done within the time frame that they say that they can do them, and uh, whether or not the, uh, you know, how, how many vehicles, how many stops, all the, all the detail work that needs to be uh, worked out before they actually start building here in town. But if, if things go as they say they would go, they would actually start building this uh, before the end of the year. They would start doing it probably by fall. And uh, by fall, then we would see uh, some, of the, some of the results. Now, the, the exciting thing about this, and I think what you were alluding to, Jim, was the fact that this system is certainly expandable. And it is uh, a proposal was made in addition to the uh, Las Vegas Convention Center uh, loop, that they could possibly build one within the community. And they're talking about underneath the uh, the Las Vegas Strip and underneath the airport and underneath, uh, you know, into downtown. So that in itself would be a pretty amazing transportation system yeah. if they were able to pull it off. Now, the, the, the way that they have uh, envisioned it is that the, uh, the, the on-campus Las Vegas Convention Center loop uh, would be free to be used by anybody who's a conventioneer uh, attending any of these events. They would just use it as just regular, uh, like a shuttle. So it's not something that would cost anybody anything to use. Now, if they were to implement that in the community, however, then you start uh, competing with some of the existing transportation modes, such as the monorail, such as taxis, such as uh, yeah. ride-hailing, and uh, then the, the price on that would be, uh, and according to what uh, has been proposed, they would be somewhere uh, in between the cost of a bus ticket and uh, a rideshare uh, ride. So it would be affordable, and it would certainly be a great option. And obviously, because there's no traffic involved, it would be a very swift way to, to get around. And some of the routes that they have proposed or suggested uh, would certainly be something that would be useful, uh, particularly if they were able to uh, take this along the strip and to build uh, uh, stations with you know underneath some of the uh, existing properties. So it's it's a pretty big uh, idea, uh, pretty grandiose. There are a lot of critics out there who say it'll never work. Uh, but that's what happens on just about anything that you build that's brand new. And to the uninitiated like me, all I know is that it takes 30 days just to dig out a swimming pool because of that caliche. I'm wondering if Elon Musk has taken all that into consideration. I suppose he has. Yeah, well, and, and they say that, you know, that these uh, these boring machines that this company has uh, eats caliche for breakfast. They, okay. okay. They really think that, it, that they can go through just about any material. Their bigger worry is if they encounter... Uh, like a sandy surface, because one of the, the processes that they use is that when they, they dig some of the materials out, they uh, manufacture uh, bricks that would be used as part of the tunnel uh, outside, uh, you know, the, some of, the, uh, some of the, the diameters along the, uh, of the, of the tunnel process. So uh, the, the, the rock that's actually underground would be a part of the construction materials for when the build is, is uh, underway. So it, it's, it's interesting, and the fact that you don't have to rely on rails, you have um, you know, basically a, a surface that's like any roadway that, um, that you know, a Tesla could, could drive on, um, 
it sounds very logical and it sounds very um, innovative and certainly it's something that um, uh, when you when you put some of these uh, vehicles in a self-driving mode, which is you know an option for the future on surface streets, but um, uh, when you have them underground, there's obviously no traffic congestion that you have to deal with. And it seems like it would be much safer. And another problem tunnel workers, I think you wrote, must be wary of is utility lines that may exist but are unaccounted for in old records. That that is correct. Uh, um, The convention center was first built about 50-some years ago. So um, a lot of those records have disappeared in terms of where utility lines are located. So um, they are not sure, and sometimes they're, they're going to have to dig slowly in order to avoid some of these potential conflicts. You know, so far that they've um, not encountered any major problems in terms of excavating for the the new uh, exhibition hall. So it's it's pretty easy to to see that this might uh, work as long as they... Be, be very careful about what they're cutting into. That does it for part one of my interview with the RJ's Rick Vallada. My next guest is the brilliant guitarist you probably first heard of in the Guess Who and then Bachman Turner Overdrive. Randy Bachman has got a very nice new album called Heavy Blues. Randy, welcome back. How have you been? Hi, Jim. I'm great. Good, good. Boy, I tell you what, this Heavy Blues album was a complete uh, come-from-nowhere type of thing with all the guys that you collaborated with how did this project come about it was a wonderful accident i i think my biggest hits taking care of business american woman you ain't seen nothing yet i called it my three greatest accidents and this album is another <laughs> accident in other words it, it happened without me realizing it just a silly idea and then it taking on a life of its own i got offered a record deal i was talking to neil young he said don't treat this lightly reinvent yourself do something different i found an incredible drummer a female and a female bass player who played like keith moon and john Entwistle, and i thought wow i'm going to try to do a thing like the british pop Power trios of the late '60s, like Cream and Zeppelin, and, yeah. and the Who, and I got them, got them together in the studio, and we said, "Let's rock out, and let's honor the Who and Hendrix and everybody." And we did. And then the producer Kevin Shirley got Joel Bonamassa on a track that gave me an idea, and I said, "Well, let me ask Neil Young wow. to be on a track, and let me get Frampton, and let me get Jeff Healy." And I had done a live album with <laughs> Jeff Healy. I called his widow and said, "Can I use one of Jeff's guitar tracks?" And she said, "Sure, he'd love to be on this album with you and Neil Young and Frampton." So I got Jeff Healy on, who passed away about you know four or five years ago. Yeah. I got this wonderful array of guitar players that if you're a guitar album, this is the album to get. And when you download the album, you can go and get the seven songs with Elta solos as free downloads. So you now they can play your own solos in those songs. When I come to Vegas and you guys run my show, you can play a certain song. They can, people, kids, whether they're seven or 17 or 70, can download it, play their own solo, send it into the station. The winner will then come and play with me on stage. You'll win a free Epiphone Les Paul guitar and come on stage and do the winning solo with me and then do Taking Care of Business and American Woman and he's a hero. Oh, it happened by accident. It was like guitar karaoke. I ended up with these seven <laughs> songs with no solos because we had to mix them to send out to these guys to do their solos. And so I thought, well, what can I do with these? Well, I'll, I'll put them up as free downloads and it, it'll be like guitar karaoke. You buy the album and you can get these seven songs. You can be Neil Young. You can be Peter Frampton. You can be, you know, Robert Randall. You just play your own solo and send it into me or the station and uh, if you win, you're, you're, you're a hero. We're We're talking to Randy Bachman, whose new album, Heavy Blues, comes out in April. And I tell you, Randy, I listened to the song Little Girl Lost, and you really did hit a home run when you're talking about being inspired by the power trios of the 
60s, the blues bands like Zeppelin. And it was, it's just very grungy and raw and very cool. Well, thank you very much. I'm, I'm glad that uh, I'm glad you're hearing that. Most of the guys I know at radio are loving it. They're saying this is like playing music or growing up hearing music in 969.70, just like a power trio jamming out rock and blues songs. And it's not computerized and it's all live. And, it, and this album is full of mistakes, but we let them go because there was such, there's positive mistakes, if you know what I mean. There was yeah, yeah. Out there and so, and so, and so live and so fresh. I mean, even Neil Young's solos are a little out of tune and stuff, but they, there's such a charm to his licks and stuff that you, 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 you can't correct that. You're correcting it with spoiler, if you know what I mean. It's just, it, it's, I think it's charming. Now, do you know Neil from way back in the day? Did you know him when you were in Canada? Yeah, yeah, back in Winnipeg. Uh, he was 14, I was 16. He was starting hmm. a band called Neil Young and the Squires, and I was starting a band called the Guess Who. Nice. And we shared the same amplifier. We both had the same orange stretch guitar. We both used the same echo. Uh, I left town with the Guess Who. We had the hit Shake on a Lover, and then a few years later, These Eyes and American Woman and all that stuff. And he left and joined the Buffalo Springfield and then Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. We've been buddies since we were teenagers, and I saw him in Nashville last year, and he was the one who said to me, if you got a record deal, reinvent yourself, do something new. Don't do the same old thing and say it's new. Do something new and scare yourself and terrify yourself and challenge yourself, and you'll be amazed what happens. And I did that. I'm amazed. I'm really amazed at what's happened. That's very what's cool. What's happening now with radio and all the fans, so I, I'm thrilled. I, you know, I think Neil has done exactly that himself, hanging out with Jack White of the White Stripes a lot lately. Yeah, exactly. you gotta you got to get new blood, and you've got to get new... Some of these guitar players on my album, you haven't heard, maybe you haven't heard of Scott Holiday from Rival Sons, but they're like the new Led Zeppelin. Luke Doucette is in a band called Whitehorse, and he's playing a great solo and Please Come to Paris. These guys are going to be famous in the next year or so, and so it's a nice mixture of because all we are just guitar players at certain levels of public knowledge, and we all have the same love of blues and rock and roll. We all love playing on each other's records, and if somebody wants me to play on a record, send me an MP3 and I'll play on it. You know, nice. That's what happened with this one. You mentioned that you're touring this. Is there a chance that a guy like Neil Young or a Joe Bonamassa or a Peter Frampton might show up at a gig or two? Yes, there is. I'm in London, England right now. I'm going this Saturday to play with Joe Bonamassa at the Hammersmith Odeon. Now, Randy, you've played with Ringo Starr and his All-Star our band uh, in the past, and, and I'm reminded of it because they were just here. What goes along with that gig? Are there rules that Ringo lays out when you go on tour with him? Yes, there is. And uh, rightly so. <laughs> <laughs> Got to be in control. It's not the old days. It's not the old days. And you know, you lay out the rules. You get them ahead of time. It's almost like the Eagles now or Aerosmith. There's no drinking. There's no smoking. There's no drugs. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's like, we go to the gym instead of going to a party later. Get <laughs> yeah. I, just, I just had an hour swimming. I'm in London, but before I did this whole morning of phoners, I went swimming for an hour. You got to take care of yourself because you get so you're like a vintage car. And if you polish it, and keep changing the oil. It keeps running. If you let it rust, it's going to the scrap heap. <laughs> well, I remember a story uh, years ago when you were with Ringo's band, and he said, okay, all you guitar players set your, your amps at this level, which was fine. But then John Entwistle came in and set his way higher to the point where it was practically wrecking your ears. It did. We were all told to not have more than a 100-watt amplifier. So I had a 100-watt amp. Mark Farner from Grand Funk was the other guitar player. He had a 100-watt amp. John Entwistle showed up with two 3,000-watt Crown DC <laughs> amplifiers. 
and, and speaker bottoms the size of a refrigerator because he's deaf and he has to play yeah. that loud to hear. The reason he's deaf is because he plays that loud, but he needs to play that loud to hear what he's playing. Yeah, yeah. He blew out our ears. Uh, after the tour is over, Mark Farney and I both had uh, tinnitus or tinnitus in our ears, a ringing in the ears that was driving us crazy. And we were going to sue John Hinsworth because we were losing our hearing. And I called <laughs> Neil Young, who had the same problem. I said, what do you do? He said, your ears are like a muscle. you got to give them a rest. So if you really hurt your muscle, you don't go up jogging every day you or a ballerina or, or a sports guy. you got to rest that. Rest your ears. Don't, don't use headphones. Play music very low. Don't listen to any music. Take these herbs, which will help restore your ears. And mine, mine went away, and I, I took care of it naturally, which was really great. That's amazing. You know, I interviewed your old bandmate, Burton Cummings, uh, just a couple of years ago. He was just in a great mood. I mean, he seemed like he was in a good place. I don't know if you've been in touch with him at all these days or what kind of relationship you guys have. Uh, well, we have an off and on going uh, love-hate relationship, just like Jagger and Richards and, uh, yeah. and uh, Steve, <laughs> Steven Tyler and Joe Perry. And I mean, it's that's what kind of makes the the magical of music is the, uh, even Henley and, and Glenn Fry and Eagles and Joe Walsh, you have to have a certain amount of friction or it's just boring. It's just leave it to Beaver. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like Beaver and Wally Cleaver. It's like, hey, <laughs> is a life friend. You've got to have a little bit of friction in there. So that kind of keeps us going. It's kind of fuel for the fire. And then we look forward to you coming to Las Vegas, Randy. Uh, I'll come there at any time. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye-bye. There he goes, Randy Bachman. And by the way, the documentary Bachman has just been released on DVD. It includes interviews with Neil Young, Peter Frampton, and Alex Lifeson of Rush. Thanks again to my first guest, RJ columnist Rick Falata, who will join me next week to talk about the Las Vegas Stadium. And thank you for joining me this morning. I hope to see you back here next Sunday at 7.30. Spectrum is hosted, written, and produced by Jim Tofty. If you have suggestions on future guests or topics, please send them to spectrum at smiradio.com.